welcome to Subclass Act, a solo role-playing actual play podcast. I'm your host, James Schrall. Hello and welcome back, friends, to another episode of Subclass Act. Again, I'm your host, James Schrall. We are continuing on with Season 2. Before we get back into the story... There's a few things I want to address. One, there's some listener call-ins from Jason, and then some emails that I got that um, hopefully the emailers won't uh, mind me uh, reading those thoughts over over, um, the episode. So we'll start there, and then when we come back, we'll get into this episode for the story. Hey, Jason here, the Subclass Hack Syndicate. Um, Don't worry about the inconsistent episode schedules. It's like it's like Christmas morning every time one drops in, so it's a wonderful surprise. So it's not a bad thing. It, it's it, it's not a flaw. It's a feature. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, I uh, trying to yeah trying to get on the regular schedule, but um, I'm glad that even still, <laughs> even despite all of the craziness going on, that the surprise element can be kind of nice. Like, oh no, when's the next one co- uh, next one going to come out? So uh, at least I got that going for me. I enjoy your voice acting, which is much better than mine. Um, and in fact, my latest episode where I do a listener call in with Joe Richter of Hindsightless joining me, I think it's episode 259. You can, I, I do a, basically a skit in there talking, trying to talk in character. And you can see I pretty much drop out of character about 30 seconds into a nine minute piece. And yeah, so I can't do voices worth anything. You do much better than I do. I don't mind voices. I like the mix of mechanics and story. I, I hope you keep that because I think one of the most intriguing things about your show is because you system hop and you switch and you do um, GM emulator hopping, we get to hear about those mechanics of all those different things and how they interweave. And of course, the story's fun as well. So I, I kind of like it the way you're doing it now. But mind you, I'm just a single person in, in a big cog of listeners. Well, you might overestimate the size of the cog, or the size of the machine in which you're a cog, I suppose. But I am glad to have you, Jason, uh, with all the call-ins with this, the uh, Subclass Act Syndicate, which I like that. I like that. That's good. Uh, as far as, yeah, that, that's actually one of the most um, consistent pieces of feedback that I've gotten. So it's definitely something that's always going to stick around in the show that I will uh, continue to system hop and oracle hop and, and talk about the mechanics that I'm using as well as the story. So... Uh, I guess it makes sense. There's plenty of shows out there that talk about just mechanics and do reviews. And there's plenty of shows out there that are just actual plays um, where they may talk about the mechanics occasionally, but they don't mix. Um, And there's not a lot that talk about both at the same time. Um, So yeah, I'm glad that people seem to like that that sort of a balance. Um, So that's something that's going to stick around. So I won't be using just one system. We'll get more onto that a little bit later in the episode. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I glad, I'm glad that you appreciate my weird blend of stuff. I paused the story just to let you know, I agree with you as far as dice, you don't fudge dice rolls that really matter, combat or actual, you know, game effects. But when you're doing random tables and you're just looking for inspiration, it's not that big of a deal to, oh, I rolled this. That's not that interesting. What's the result above it, below it, or we just roll again. So as much as I'm against fudging dice, I, I don't think rolling dice for inspiration and not taking the inspiration is fudging. I think fudging is only when you're actually 
rolling the dice to determine the outcome of a game effect. Very interesting show um, or episode or I don't know whatever the right term is. <laughs> um, I, I look forward to the further ventures. I like where you're taking it, and I too am glad that they turned out to be a non-conventional faction. So keep up the great work. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, thanks, Jason. That's one of the advantages of the oracles. They can surprise you um, with the non-conventional stuff. Different things can pop into your head that wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, and, and as far as fudging, yeah, I, I think it's the same with with inspiration tables. Um, you know, and, and this is a you know, I'm sure there are long episodes to people talk just about fudging dice. I do think there's a place for when somebody fails a roll that you can still let them succeed, but at a cost. Like you don't want to just you can't just hand wave the whole thing. Um, and I think it just really depends on the situation and on the game, on what the uh, expectations are. I think the big the big fudging thing is either when you're just you're just saying like, oh, here's what here's what the result was, and you're just lying. So that's definitely fudging dice, or just completely ignoring a roll is is in my opinion also fudging dice, or just doing something where you 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 knowingly go against the expectations of the table because you don't like the dice roll. So. Um, you know, so in D and D five E, if if you fail a roll, it doesn't have to always mean no. You could say like, oh yeah, you are able to pick the lock, but it takes forever, and by that time, this other thing has happened. Or um, in addition to uh, you know picking the lock, not only does your lock pick break, but this other thing happens. You know, whatever you alerted whoever on the inside, so you can fail forward. I think with that, but I don't think that's fudging as long as it that is the if that's the expectation that that sometimes happens at your table. That's not really fudging because they know that that. That's what the result was. That's consistent. So I guess to summarize, yeah, for me, fudging dice is anytime you're doing a game effect, like you're saying, um, or some sort of a built-in mechanic, an outcome, and you are specifically defying the ex- the normal expectations of the um, and normal procedures of the table, which is the game and whatever your table has built around the way that you play the game. So that's it for me. I that's something. That's the way I kind of talk about mechanics anymore is I, I almost never talk about just the system in general because for me it's all about the table and the shared understanding of the table and rules are just one part of that um, they're not the only part of that uh, so it's that it's that whole thing so yeah I, I totally agree and yeah inspiration tables are just that inspiration so if it's not inspiring yeah move on <laughs> and I'm glad you're enjoying the uh, enjoying the current arc um, I'm excited to get back into that too. Next, we're going to move into some uh, listener feedback from some email. So I got an email from Mike. And Mike said, uh, keep up all the great work with the current adventure. It was enjoyable to listen to, and I really enjoy, uh, really like the background music. Um, so Mike, I'm really glad that you are enjoying the music. Uh, all the music comes from Tabletop Audio, which is free, and they're amazing. And I use it in my, um, when I can, I, I use a lot of that stuff in my games that I run. Uh, my non-solo games and yeah it's i've started i like the music so much i've started putting it on while i'm recording the episode so i can hear it too and it gets me really pumped in the right mood um so yeah i'm a big fan of the music as well and i'm really glad you're enjoying the current adventure um so now i just have to keep that up uh next uh email comes from uh from ray otis actually none other than the uh famous ray otis uh so he said he started listening um and he said, uh, it's brave to play yourself live like that uh, and surprisingly surprisingly listenable. So I'm going to put that on the tin uh, in my like reviews. It's just going to say surprisingly listenable. Um, 
And yeah, he, I don't want to read word for word cause it's a little bit longer, but just that, um, you know, it's, it's maybe more than it, it looked like on the tin. <laughs> so, um, but, but Ray also said that he liked, um, hearing bits of the rules and, um, uh, you know, mixed with a story and, and kind of that mix and, and the way of doing the different oracles. Um, so the cool part about getting this for me, uh, is that I'm also a big fan of Ray Otis's podcast Plunderground. So if you haven't listened to it, check that out. Um, he's done a lot of really cool, uh, dungeon world stuff as well. And I think dungeon world is cool and rad, although maybe Ray is more on the, the straight OSR train now, but it's cool. Um, yeah, Dungeon World is cool and rad, and he's done a lot of other really cool stuff. Uh, check out his, um, well, a few things. Uh, check out his storefront on itch, uh, itch.io. That's where I have some of my games and stuff as well. Um, he's got a lot of really cool stuff in there, like some tunnel goons uh, hacks, and uh, I think a lasers and uh, feelings hack, a bunch of cool stuff in there. And his Oracle, which actually I've used on the show before. It's a really nice lightweight mythic. Um, so you just need, I think, two or three six-sided dice, and it's one of those pocket mods, which is where you can print it out on one, um, I guess, letter size paper, or you could probably do it on, I, th- I think it's A5 across the pond, but um, you could probably do it with either. Uh, but you just, you fold it up and it makes this booklet, but just with one sheet of paper and it's very cool. Um, so yeah, Ray, glad to have you on board. Mike, thank you for emailing as well. Really great to have you all listening and enjoying the show. That's the the reason I do the show. If nobody else... Um, if nobody else was enjoying it, I could just keep playing my my weird little solo games by myself. But the fact that other people are enjoying it is huge. Um, to that end, one of the most consistent feedback uh, pieces of feedback that I alluded to before is that people like the mechanics mixed with the story. And also, the the weirdest decision that I made at the beginning, towards the beginning of season one, that se- people seem to have consistently liked is system hopping. Um, that that felt like a big risk when I took that risk. Um, <laughs> I didn't know how that was going to go. It sounded cool to me, but I didn't know how it was going to sound on the radio. I am, am particularly prone to analysis paralysis and all this kind of stuff. So I didn't know if people would like that or not. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to keep doing that though, because uh, I, I especially like that when I'm playing solo, because when I change systems, it changes different expectations. And then I get something different out of individual sessions based on the different games. Uh, and I certainly have, uh, a number of them. So uh, to that end, actually, today I'll be using a different game and a different oracle. Um, I'm still playing the same character, still the same arc, playing Thorin. Uh, I've sort of translated him uh, or aspects of him into another game for this session. Uh, and I don't know how many sessions I'm going to do of each. It's just kind of as the, uh, uh, I guess, as I just have the desire to play a certain game, I'll just translate the character or characters into that game and just, you know, back and forth. Um it's usually not too too bad once you get the initial setup going. Uh, so today, I'm going to be playing Savage Worlds, uh, which is a game I really like. Um, and I really learned about it from uh, me, myself, and Die, which I've recommended many times in the show. And I will definitely continue to recommend many times because it's amazing and everybody should watch it. Uh, in season one, he uses Savage Worlds and Mythic. Today, I'm going to use Savage Worlds, but I'm not going to use Mythic today. As great of an oracle as that is, I've given that a few episodes, and I want to move back to one I've used before, um, but I haven't used it in a while, which is called the Motif Story Engine. Um, I can really recommend this a lot. It can become really lightweight after a while. Um, I have the sheet for me to reference, um, but you don't usually need it. Um, 
but what's really cool is it's it's very modular. There's a bunch of stuff you can add to it. Um, it still only takes a couple sheets of paper when I print it out um, to to review it. But really, the main kind of mechanic, if you will, comes down to you roll three six-sided dice. And for people who have listened before, I'm a nerd and I'm a programmer by day. And so I remember the order of the dice by RGB. But you can also just use left to right. I've done that before too. You just roll them and you just read the results left to right. Um, but basically, you have... Uh, the, one of the dice is your main oracle, and that answers yes, no, maybe, um, depending on, you know, if it's a binary question, one through three is no, five through six, is, or uh, four through six is yes. If there's a, a middle option, that was, yeah, would be three or four. Uh, the second die is the degree, which is what I really like about this. This is what's really cool is it's degree of yes or no. Um, and so it's got some spark words, like, for instance, a one would be weak, inconsequential, or minimal. So you can almost hear that as like a yes, but, or a no, um, but it's a weak no, or, you know, depending on how you want to interpret it, um, you know, is is this a large ship or something? And you could say, uh, you could say yes or no, but then you could still have weak. So yes, it's a large ship, but it's also ragged. And it looks, you know, worn to the bone. Or, you know, if you got the opposite, you'd be like, um, no, it's not a big ship, but it's huge and it's well fortified. Or not huge. That's the opposite. You know what I mean? It's not a it's not a large ship, but it's really fortified. It's it's you know it's armor is thick and, and it's it's well equipped. Something like that. The third axis is for you can you swap up with various things. So like um, the one I usually use is the favorability die. So one would be the least favorable to the party. Six would be the most favorable to the party. Three and four are kind of neutral. You can also use it depending on what you're asking for. Could be a danger die <clears throat> so if there's obstacles like how dangerous um there's a weirdness if you're doing like cthulhu kind of stuff um rarity there's a bunch of subsystems you can add in um it also has some stuff to build npcs real quick which is cool sometimes i use a different oracle for that um une um but this one has that built in so that's that's really nice resources things like that um it has uh also the idea the concept of turns and twists uh, which is kind of like the random events from Mythic. Pulling up an index card here to keep track of this stuff. Um, so whenever you roll, it's been a long time since I've used this, so I may get this wrong, but um, you have turns. Basically, anytime you roll, um, uh, well, definitely when you roll all triples, uh, you have a turn. Um, when you roll, I believe it's all odd numbers. I'll have to look that up before I start recording the episode, but you get this turn and then every third turn you finish that. So a turn would be like uh, you roll on, um, uh, I guess it's if you roll triples. So it actually says, so I, you know, uh, but yeah, if you roll um, all or maybe it's, um, I think the way I do it now is that if you roll um, doubles and an odd, I don't remember, I'll look it up, but either way, it'll say like ones would be like a sudden turn in favor for the player characters or five might be an especially unusual item or well-hidden clue is unlocked within the scene. So it's, it's kind of a plot twist even though it says turn. And then there's, but it's a minor kind of uh, turn of events. And then after the third turn, you finish that. And then you roll two six-sided die on another table. And there's like a major plot twist. Um, so it gets this really nice um, kind of flow going. Uh, it's got some uh, tables for 2d6 for uh, events. They're like, they call the world prompts, the events, meetings, requests, challenges. Um, you know, you can do mission clocks or tension. There's a chaos subsystem, a momentum subsystem. I don't typically use as many of those subsystems. I'd usually just use the main three, um, you know, some of the tables as needed and then the twists and turns. Um, 
but it's very modular and it's honestly, it's such a good deal. I don't remember how much it is on drive through but it's not very much and you can get just a huge mile out of it. The only thing you don't get is spark tables like the action and subject table from Mythic. Honestly though, you can just, if you really want those, like the inspiration tables, you can also just make, you know, take a book and roll on a page, grab two random words that first appear to you, or you could just make a couple small 2d6 or 1d6 tables of random spark words, just roll them and grab two. You know, there's a bunch of ways to add that part, but the rest of this is a, it's just a really good Oracle. Um, and you don't always need it as much. You can also ask questions for that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, and because there's events, I mean, you kind of have all that, um, NPCs. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can emulate and you just need three, six, uh, six, six sided dice. So, um, yeah, so we're going to be doing that. Um, I'm going to look up, uh, before I move over to the regular recording, I'm going to look up, uh, which, which I'll clarify in a second when I hop back on, uh, you know, exactly when the, uh, the turns go, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the main idea here. So I, I hope you guys enjoy this. I hope you guys enjoy Savage Worlds. Uh, as a brief note for anybody who cares with the translation, uh, still kind of a barbarian character. I didn't take the edge that is more like what you would expect, where it's like the the equivalent sort of of the 5e um, rage. Uh, that's kind of a, le- a secondary thing, I think, to the concept of the character. So um, we'll kind of see how that goes. But it's still still a character. A Thorin is still very much a barbarian type character. Uh, so without taking any more time than I already have, we're going to move on over. We shouldn't delay any longer. Where is it that you're ascending us, old man? Hmm. Old man, is it? I see. Well, I'm sending you out in the far wastes to find, well, let's see who he's sending us to find. So, as of the clarification that I promised, uh, we are very much um, using motif here, and it's when you roll, uh, with this pacing, it's when you roll doubles, um, and then you roll an odd number on the other die, and then what the doubles are uh, determines what the turn is. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna get into a few things here. So I'm gonna actually use the event and meeting tables to help us figure out um, really what the um, you know the kind of the ally is. It's gonna be determined a little bit by the situation, and we'll ask any other clarifying questions we need. So I'm gonna roll two d six for the event, um, seven. So a festival or a holiday. Normally this is not what this table is used for, but I'm, I'm using it to add this extra inspiration. And then meeting. Uh, five, which is niche or a subculture group or niche or subculture group. Holiday, niche, or subculture group. Uh, yeah, so I think that they're, um, I think that he's gonna send us into the city. Uh, there's gonna be a nearby city, um, but he's gonna send us specifically to, uh, I think kind of a seedy underbelly of the city, I'm kind of thinking. So he says, um, I'm sending you into the town. Into the town? What do we have to do with them? Living in their walls, their their comfort, their complacency. Yes, yes, I understand. 
I understand your concern. But know this. We do need them. We need their resources. More than that, though, I believe that you'll find that... Well... The village, the city, it's more of a complex organism than perhaps you give it credit for. There are those who are sympathetic. For the right price. Ah, uh, yes. I suppose I can understand that. They are celebrating the festival. What sort of festival is it? Festival of the... Uh, let's see, what should we call it? Uh, there's, there's like a sort of a star night culture here. So remember, everything is so... Um, uh... Tis the festival of the new constellation. I don't understand. To be honest, their customs are a bit of a mystery to me as well. But it is an important festival. There will be all kinds about, but there will also be many distractions. I need you to go in and find... Find an old friend. How will I be able to find this old friend? You must simply ask for the blind tiger. So I'm just gonna go ask for... to speak to somebody with... sort of this... seedy underbelly you're telling me? Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. No, but you must... you must ask the city itself. You must look for the signs. I will leave you to use your judgment. I'm not into all of this cloak and dagger business. But we must do what we must do. We all have our tasks. Well, as you've said it, nothing is free. Why should I do this for you? You must do this for your village. There is nothing that we can offer except our survival. We will not last on our supplies long. And we will not be able to survive against these spirit people, whatever they are that you have seen before. I have an ominous feeling about them. We must go make an alliance if we are ever to hope back to take back what is rightfully ours. I will do this. If not for the gold, then for the glory. And for our survival. I suppose glory would be difficult to achieve without it. Very well. You must be underway soon, then. Alright, so now I'm gonna roll to see, um, now that you've heard my chair creaking, I'm gonna roll to see, uh, what, um, if anything, uh, is going to be are the first part of what we have to come up against. So I'm going to roll on the requests table. Again, not normally used for this, but I'm going to use it for inspiration to see like how we get there. What are we looking for? Five. Locate a missing person or lost items. Okay, so there's going to be a waypoint that we have to find in order to find um, the city because we've been wandering so far. Um, yes, we've been wandering out here for quite a while. In order to find what you are looking for, in order to 
properly solicit the help and find your way to the blind, this blind tiger, you will need to find something. Something old. Something ancient. In order to do this, you will need to find... Well, a relic? What sort of relic is it? I do not know the nature of this relic, for it is ancient, but there are stories, there are tales. Alright, so I want to know, uh, is this some sort of, like, um, maybe some sort of a creature, like a tooth from, like, a great worm, or if this is some other sort of uh, artificial artifact. So I want to, first I'm going to ask if it's natural, is it some sort of a natural artifact? So here's our first motif roll main oracle. No, it is not some sort of natural artifact. Um, in fact, uh, so here's kind of how it works, right? So two on the original oracle die, so that's a no, and then six on the um, degree die, so it's powerful, vital, or maximum. So you would say, not only no, it's not natural, it is artificial. It's a, it's a very powerful, we'll say, magical item. Um, and then three, it's a neutral favorability, so it's not going to be super easy to get. Um, so uh, it is something old and crafted by the ancient ones when we still had control of the temple. I do not know the extent of its powers. The blind tiger will, of course, want it. If it is this powerful artifact, why is it that one, that we don't have it already. And two, why would we trade it away if it is so powerful? Ah, yes. It is a good question. The answer as to why we don't have it is that simply no one who has ever tried to retrieve it has returned. As far as trading it away, yes, the blind tiger will want it for himself. But you must make sure that he does not end up with it. Whatever you need to do. You must secure the, our alliance or any information that you can get that will be helpful. But you must not part with the artifact unless you absolutely have to. I will do this. What is it that I must look for? So I'm gonna see if there's some sort of a natural, um, is there something, some sort of a natural landmark that I should be looking for, or is there a supernatural landmark? So is there a natural landmark? No, so there's not a natural landmark. Um, it's uh, it is a, it is a supernatural landmark, but it's subtle because a two on the on the degree or sorry, it's a five on the degree die. So it's a supernatural uh, marker. It shouldn't be too hard to spot then because it's it's fairly obvious. Um, it's not very favorable though. Uh, so let's see. It's always night now. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be some sort of a weird supernatural thing to find, but it's going to be it's going to be tricky with being a two on the favorability die. It could be worse but it's still going to be a little tricky. You must find the Desert Rose. Desert Rose. What are you what are you blathering on about, old man? There is only one rose that survives in the desert. I have not seen it myself. The rest of them have died out, you see. But this rose is not like any other rose. It survives despite, well, despite all, despite there being no light, often no moisture. For it is not 
merely a rose. More than that, I cannot say. You must head out to the west to find what you may. Very well. I will head out immediately. I must gather my party. No, no, you must do this alone. But I will give you the sight. Uh, and then I think, um, I think this old man, now the, uh, the oracle here, he performs a ritual on Thorin. Uh, we won't get too much into the details because I really want to get into the action, but it does grant Thorin a bit of a, you can kind of see the path ever so slightly illuminated. Um, it won't take him right there, it just kind of gives him the general direction. It's not an exactly a wayfinder, otherwise there'd be no point. But it does send him somewhat in the direction, um, because he can see a little bit more than what is natural. So it's not an exact magical sight, it's not like detect magic or something like that, it's more subtle than that. But he can very subtly detect when something is slightly different. Um, there's something slightly more new, uh, supernatural about it. Uh, so, um, so yes, that's kind of what we're, what we're going with here. Alright, so we're going to set out into the desert. Um, I am going to do a few things. So I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, I'm probably going to make a survival check here. Uh, so we'll get into our first um, uh, Savage Worlds uh, uh, set of rolling here. So as a, as a brief aside on the mechanics, so Savage Worlds is different than 5e for sure. Um, one, there won't be any d20s in this game. It only goes up to d12, but it does use the rest of the polyhedral dice. Um, so for this game, the uh, attributes are agility, smarts, spirit, strength, and vigor. Um, and sometimes I will make an attribute check. Usually it's a skill check, but sometimes an attribute check. And then um, skills, there's a whole list of them. Uh, so there's the discrete list of them. You can add more if you want. There's a discrete list of them. I only have certain ones that everybody has, which is athletics, common knowledge, notice, persuasion, stealth. And then I also have fighting, survival, and intimidation. So the way that these skills and attributes work, though, is instead of having numbers with modifiers or anything like that, you just have a die type. So, you mu so for instance, I have a D8 fighting, but I only have a D4 stealth. Okay, because the main thing here in this game is that for most uh, for most things that I'm going to attempt, I will have a target number of four by default. You can tweak it up or down, but I'm just I like to typically leave it at four. The target number is four that you're trying to reach, and then any any amount any four over the target is what's called a raise. So that's an additional benefit. So it's an extra success. Um, in addition. Um, main characters, uh, which are called wild cards, like my character, or any major big bad kind of characters, um, will also roll a d6. So if I'm rolling, for instance, fighting, I roll a d8, which is my fighting die, but I also roll a d6, which is the wild die. If I was, if I had, um, Capo uh, and Seppo going with me, they would be called extras, or if I'm fighting minions in a fight that aren't like the big bad, they would be minions or extras. And they don't roll a d6. There's some other stuff uh, as well here that we'll get to as it comes up. That's kind of the main thing. I have some hindrances as well. Uh, hindrances, so I'm an outsider. 
something I'm stubborn and I'm vengeful, so that will affect the way that I roleplay things. Um, the Outsider also gives me, I believe it's a minus two on any sort of persuasion when I'm in like a town setting. So if I'm in, if I want to get to the city, I'm going to be at a disadvantage there for sure. Um, the advantage of that is you, you get to a point by system as you're creating your character. So I also have edges. So I have uh, brawny, which I can read if we if we come to it, um, but it just means I'm tougher. Uh, and then nerves of steel, I'm harder to, to damage or wound, or I have a better time of dealing with damage and wounds, maybe is the better way to put it, which we'll get to all that in good time. So uh, yeah, we'll get to more of it, but that's the basics. So it's a skill-based system. It uses the different dice denominations. It's really cool. Um, it's very swingy, so if you don't like swingy games, you won't like this. But I, I think it's fun, personally, uh, because all of a sudden the dice will come out and, and surprise you. Um, most of the time you aren't going to just be crushing it, but sometimes you can just like come out of nowhere, you know, um, because of the last mechanic I'll mention before, which is called acing. So you ace when you roll the highest on a, on a die type. So if you roll a d4, that would be a 4. On a d8, it would be an 8. So you're more likely to do it on the lower dice, but you have to do it way more for it to add up. So it's, it's fine. It works out. Um, so you can end up, even if you have a d4 in something and you're awful at it, uh, you can roll that d4, but then you roll a 4, and then you roll another 4, and then you roll another 4, and you add all of it up until you stop acing. Um, so, you know, even even terrible characters can occasionally get wicked lucky in a way that I personally think is very satisfying and fun. So that's what we're getting into here. Um, so I'm going to make a survival check in a second um, so we can, we can get underway with that. Uh, everything else will be super, super different here. So I'm going to grab my d6. And I'm going to grab, so I do have a survival skill, which is for me as a d8. Uh, so they are tied to the attributes, but really that only usually matters uh, if, like when you're going to buy and you're making characters. Uh, so, and that's a whole thing I'm not going to get into, uh, but it's good. It's a fun game. All right, so I'm going to roll my d6 and my d8. So I'm going to make a survival check just to see how well I do um, if I run into any other obstacles while I'm on the way. Um, we could make a, like a long travel sequence out of it, but especially on a, on a podcast, I think it's kind of boring. So I'm going to skip it because I don't have other players to make travel interesting. So we're just going to see how well I do while surviving. Okay, so one on the wild die, but I got an eight. Oh my gosh, I got an eight on my survival die. So that means I roll again. Uh, I roll the d8 again. And then I got a six. So you add it up, I got 14. So the target number to show how it works is a four. So it means I succeeded as long as I got a four, but I got an, uh, a total of 14. So that means eight is one raise, and 12 is two raises. Uh, so I succeed with two raises. So not only did I survive, but along the way I was able to pick up extra water, um, I was able to hunt even for extra food, and I'm actually making really good time. There's not really a day-night cycle, right? There's not, there's, um, but I'm, so I'm making really good time. I'm also gonna say that I'm able to get um, for whatever situation may may or may not pop up with this rose thing, if there's you know people there, or bandits in the way, I'm going to get the drop on them because I, I've I, I have the survival instinct. I'm kind of in this very hunter survival instinct with those with the, those two raises. That's really good. Okay, uh, survival is like this character's thing. He's really bad at everything else. So <laughs> so just so you know. All right. Uh, so yeah, I am going to ask the question. Okay, is this rose clear of people. I don't know if it's clear of obstacles, but is it clear of people? Okay, yes, it is clear of people. Um, and so I got a four on 
which is sort of a, a nebulous result on the degree. So for good notable average, so it is clear of people for for a good distance. Um, it doesn't seem to have. It just seems pretty normal. Like it's just there. It's just sitting there, and it's a three neutral on the um, advantage die. So it's just kind of sitting there. So um, yeah, I, that's kind of that's that's what's going for me there. Uh, so I think I'm gonna look around because that seems suspicious. That there's just there's apparently this magical artifact that just happens to be this, you know, this rose, and there's something about it uh, that's going to lead me to this magical artifact, and it's just kind of sitting there with nobody or nothing around it. It seems seems pretty sus to me. So I'm going to try to make a notice roll um, to see if my character could possibly notice if there's any sort of a trap, and then I'm going to roll the oracle to see if there is one, and whether or not that will be known by my character. So uh, I'm going to look around here. So notice, I'm very bad at. So I'm gonna roll my D4 notice that everybody has that. Um, if you don't have a skill, then it's a D4 minus two. It's really rough. Um, so a lot of times the only way to do that is to ace it. Uh, in this case, I do have a D4 because everybody starts out with notice, and I but I roll my my D6, my um, uh, wild die as well. All right, notice. Am I able to notice? Is there any sort of weird traps about? I know this is different from an OSR mindset where you're trying to more interact with the physical world. Um, than doing a lot of these notice rolls, but I do find that that's much harder to pull off when you're not playing with people. Because um, I like to do that when I'm playing with people as well. Like if somebody said, oh, I just like to do a notice to like look for traps, I would say, well, what are you looking for? How are you doing that? Um, but when you're playing solo because you're playing the GM and the player, that doesn't always work out quite as well. I mean, I, you could, but um, it's, it's harder, I think, to pull off. Um, so I think it's okay to give yourself permission to just say like, yeah, I'm just going to make, you know, essentially a perception check, you know, but it's fine because you're, you're trying to also discover if there is something there at all. So he's going to try to look around see if there's any like tracks in the sand or any, anything like that. If there's anything like, make sure if there's any wind that's trying to blow, you know, it's blowing correctly, the sand isn't just perfectly still, all of that would be super suspicious. So he's looking for anything that's kind of off like this. Um, doesn't really know exactly what to look for, just is there, if there's anything that grabs his attention. Um, I could almost make the case this survival, but I really think that's pushing it, and this is a notice roll. So here we go, here goes nothing. Okay, so I rolled, yeah, I rolled a two on my wild die. That's not gonna do it. Um, so yeah, I just, I just, there's just nothing, it just looks weird in the sense that there's nobody here, but otherwise there's no, like, it just looks like the desert, I mean, it looks safe. Now we need to know, of course, if it is safe. All right, so is there some sort of a concealed trap element here? Okay, so yes, uh, and I was a six, so it's really a yes, um, and then it's a six on the, on the, uh, okay, actually, when we're gonna get, this is perfect timing, it's funny how this works out, so yes, it's extremely trapped, um, it's neutral favorability, so it's not gonna just like damage me per se, but I rolled two sixes, so I rolled doubles and an odd number with a three. So now we get our first turn of the session. So, because I rolled sixes, it says, a sudden turn in favor of the big bad, of course, or other forces aligned against the player characters and or their interests. Okay, I think here's what happens. Because that's the specific twist, it's not necessarily that there's a trap that's gonna deal me damage, like I said before, but it is trapped in the sense that, at the moment, it's not really here. So, all of a sudden, um, 
or not necessarily that's not really here, but the rose is sort of here, but as he goes over towards it, all of a sudden, like that, he's surrounded by what seems like 30 separate people. Hello again, all the voices. I wish I had a Borg voice thing. Hello again. You seem to follow, find us often. Perhaps you are following us. Far from it. I wish not to get mixed up with you. I only wish to look for what I can find. You look for the artifact. Yes, I I did. How, how do you know? We, too, look for the artifact. You're saying you, you haven't found it? We, too, look for the artifact. This is starting to get creepy, and the sand is starting to blow around him in a circle like this. It's starting to get whipped up into a frenzy. Look, I do not wish to cause you trouble. How is it that you are here and yet unable to find the artifact that you're looking for? Can't you see it? We see it. We cannot touch it. Hmm, I see. So, I kind of want to know how far away is it? So is this within, like, a quick sprint of me? I'm gonna ask the oracle. Is this within a quick sprint? Um, yes, it is for... It's it's a medium distance away from me. It's not very favorable, though, because it's, you know, there's no nothing obscuring me. There's no cover of any kind. We know what you are thinking. How is that possible? Even I don't know what I'm thinking half the time. We know you want the artifact. Uh, yes, of course. You will bring us the artifact. Or you will die. I suppose I don't have much of a choice, do I? You do not have a choice. You will bring us the artifact. Mm, okay. So he's going to try to have to get this. I, I guess here's the thing. So they're going to be surrounding it. They can, they're not going to stop him because they need him to try to get whatever the artifact is because they can't touch it. But they're going to be a little disappointed because I, I do have something that I, I think I know what this thing is and we're going to roll with it. Um, one of the things that Motif says, you know, don't ask questions. If basically... Uh, I'm, I'm summarizing poorly, but you, you ask when things are uncertain. So there's like the, there's kind of the rule of cool going on. If you if you know what's going to happen, just go with it. Um, so I do know what's going to what uh, part of what's about to happen. But here's the thing: is they're going to be surrounding uh, this this uh, desert flower. So as and it's just kind of sitting there motionless. Um, as Thorin goes up, and he goes to slowly to you, and they're just staring at him motionless. He goes to grab the desert flower this desert rose as he touches it though in an instant he's no longer there now that he's now inside this huge stone uh, artifact it's kind of it's kind of a temple it's not the one that he's been told of from stories so he doesn't recognize it from stories it's not his ancient temple but it is sort of an ancient temple that he has been whisked away to of some sort um, so that the reason it's still going to be a problem with the pilgrims of a single mind that have, that have surrounded the entrance is 
if and when he ever comes back from that direction, they likely will still be surrounding it unless something crazy happens, so that's something to, to be aware of. So, all of a sudden now he's in this temple and there are braziers that line up on either side, like, down this long, long hallway. Uh, as he's trying to figure out whatever this, this artifact is, there are icons everywhere of gold and silver and medals that, that Thorin has likely never ever seen. Um, just an innumerable, immeasurable value, and he has to resist the urge to immediately go grab some. But he thinks, even though thinking is maybe not his strong suit, he sort of thinks to himself that it's it's best not to. He continues forward down this longer hallway. There are some steps that go up and some steps that go down. Um, it kind of it forks in this way. It's really hard to tell if he's underground, if he's above ground, if he's even in a real place. Nearly impossible to tell. So, um, I think we're gonna we're gonna roll to see. Um, what kind of thing is first? There's, there's going to be some sort of a trial or some sort of a test or something we're going to find. Is there some sort of an obstacle? So we're going to see if, like, um, really he's going to take one of these rooms. I think he's going to head into the room that goes down. So we need to know, uh, really what's in this next room. It's, it's, it's going to be probably some sort of a challenge. Um, puzzles, I haven't figured out how to do those solo yet, so if anybody knows how to do solo puzzles, that would be awesome because I'm into it. But I have no idea how to do that. Um, so it's going to probably be some sort of a fight or some sort of um, another kind of a test. It could be any sort of a test. Um, it could be like a fight or um, or like a yeah some other sort of some more of the test. So I want to know if it's a fight. Yes, um, there is some sort of a fight. It's not like a, a boss kind of a fight. It does say favorable towards me. Um, so I believe it's going to be an, a fight that I've fought before, as it were. So. Um, I'm going to pull up the best Yuri here. Um, so I think it's going to be a somewhat favorable battle to me, so it should be a fairly short one. Um, but we're going to get into some combat here. I do have, there's a small best Yuri in, uh, in the game. The nice thing is it's actually fairly easy to make uh, characters. So really, you just start out like, you, can, you don't even have to have necessarily all of the attributes already made when you start. Just know that D6 is average for attributes and for skills. So you can go up and down from that. Um, the other th main stats that you have are pace, parry, and toughness. Pace is just six by default, unless there's some other reason that they move faster or slower. That's supposed to be in inches. I usually just convert that to be about 35 feet. It doesn't really matter so much. I just use the relative um, numbers usually. Parry, uh, it comes to uh, trying to avo actively avoid um, being hit. And then toughness is, is you know how hard you are to actually deal damage to. Um, we'll get into all of that, that armor plays into that, we'll get into all of that, but uh, the parry and the toughness are actually derived stats, so if you just kind of pick the other ones as they come, uh, you can kind of figure out what those um, what those should be. Um, so because they're derived, normally, like parry, for instance, is uh, vigor divided by two, so if you have a d6, that would be three, for instance, right? This is the number of the die, so d6 divided by two, so you know, it's normally two plus the vigor in half, and then any other bonuses. So an average uh, parry is going to be five, for instance, um, and then toughness is is typically, um, uh, I believe it's typically strength divided by two. Or sorry, yeah, the half of the strength plus two. I believe I have to. Uh, or no, sorry, it's the fighting. It's the um, 
or I might have gotten those backwards. It doesn't matter. I'll look it up in a few moments anyways um, to make sure, but I believe, I believe toughness is the fighting skill divided by two plus two. So anyways, either way, it, it you know, if, if six is average, again, it's going to be roughly the same for both of those. So we'll get into that. Um, so there, like I said, there's a small bestiary. It's also easy to reskin these. So if, you know, there's a mech, but even if you're not playing in sci-fi, if there's something that is some sort of a construct that seems similar enough, just change the name and kind of keep the same idea. Um, so it's very easy to get to get up and running real quick here. Uh, so something I've fought before, so it's not gonna be something magical. I believe we're just gonna go with some Gerblins here. Um, so I actually think that this is gonna be a, an easy test because it was fairly favorable on the favorability die for me. So whatever it is, is just perhaps messing with me, but either way, there's a Goblin in here um, in this uh, uh, in this dungeon. So all of a sudden it just comes upon me. We're going to get into combat. Um, so let us do that. So here's how combat works in Savage Worlds. One of my favorite parts about Savage Worlds is the initiative uses cards. Um, and you do it each round and it adds a lot of, uh, of fundamental. You also don't have simultaneous combat because if you have two fives, for instance, you go in suit order. Okay. So uh, first up on the initiative, I'm going to do me and then the goblin. So me, I'm on the Ace of Hearts. That's good for me. And the goblin is on, ooh, the Ace of Spades. That's, <laughs> that's unlucky. Okay, so the goblin is going to go first. So here's how this works. The goblin is going to have some sort of a mace, presumably. We'll just say whatever, whatever it has on here. I think it just says, oh, it says short spears, bows. We're just going to say it's a mace and leave the damage the way that it's written in, in the bestiary. So... Uh, it's going to try to roll to hit me. So it um, it has a d6 fighting skill, and it's an extra. It's not a wild card, so it only rolls just the d6. So remember when I said most of the time, and, and I may also mess this up. I've only gotten to run this in real life once, and only gotten to play it solo once. So I'm very new to this. So if you play Savage Worlds and I get it wrong, you can, you can let me know. You can call in and let me know. Um, I encourage everybody to check out the games I talk about <laughs> on your own because I could get things wrong. The most important thing is just to have fun and keep rolling with it. So it's not like it's not like when you're playing with other people and you have a bit more of a you know need to like okay I've got to read and prepare more. You're just playing solo. It's whatever. Okay, so it's gonna try to hit me. So normally, uh, if you remember, I said the target number is four. One of the very few times it's not the case is in combat. It, the, the basically the parry is gonna be like my AC. So the goblin is gonna try to roll above my parry, which in this case is a six because I'm pretty decent at this. Uh, it's going to try to roll above my parry, uh, and um, and if successful, then something will happen. I'll either get shaken or wounded. So there's no HP in this game. There's, there's conditions of being shaken and being wounded, and wild cards like me can get three wounds um, before having to roll on a critical injury table that could mean death. Um, we'll get into death and dying if, if it comes up. Um, otherwise, I'll at least be shaken. And when, when a, a creature is shaken, uh, you have to make a vigor roll in order to take an action. You can still move, but you can't take an action unless you recover from being shaken. You can also spend the next mechanic that is the only one that I haven't mentioned so far, really, which is called Bennies. Now, I have three of these, and I'm going to give myself as the GM three of these against myself, sort of. So you can spend bennies on a lot of things. You can do it on a reroll, on an attribute or reroll damage. You can spend it to um, avoid a wound, for instance, um, to soak some damage. Um, you can, or to do a soak roll, I guess. Um, you can spend it 
for a lot of things. To establish something in the fiction, it's fairly flexible. But I also will get bennies by letting my hindrances take over. So if I do something, like if it's very unfavorable to me to do something um, where I let my revenge, my vengeful nature take over, and I know it's bad for me, but I do it anyways because the character, my character says vengeful. If I do that, I kind of take that role-playing cue, I can get a Benny for that. Um, usually the GM offers that. In this case, I will offer it to myself if it makes sense in the story. So for playing more into the character, you get rewarded, and you're spending, and you're getting more uh, heroic. And I think that's cool. Not everybody likes the meta-currency thing, but I think it's cool, and it's rad. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that's what, we're, that's what we're getting into here. So, the goblin has a d6 fighting. is trying to hit my parry of six. So here comes the attack. Rolls a five. It's not going to be enough. Um, all of a sudden, Goblin comes out of nowhere. Ah! Swings his little mace, and my great sword. I, I come up quickly at the last second, um, blocking blocking the blow. Um, as he stumbles back a little bit. So now, uh, now it's my turn, and I'm much better at this than this Goblin. So whoever's watching this fight, this is what they're going to see. So now it's my turn. I'm on the Ace of Hearts. So I'm going to roll my D8 fighting skill, since we're in melee. D8 fighting, here we go. And my uh, D6 wild die. And I, I need to try to hit this goblin has uh, a parry of five. Okay, so I rolled a six. So that does beat the parry by one. It's not a raise. Anytime you get raised, you're gonna get additional damage dice. So the raises go for everything, it's very fun. Um, it's much faster, by the way, once you've played the game for a little bit. It's called Fast, Fun, and Furious is sort of their tagline. It sounds very slow when I'm describing the mechanics, um, and I'm stopping here the first time to explain them, but when you actually get into a game and get in the flow, it's actually still pretty quick. It's not really any slower than a normal game. Okay, so I do hit, so now I get to roll damage. So here's how it's gonna work. Um, extras can only take one wound before they die, in this case, um, unless there's an, an exceptional thing about that. My great... Uh, Greatsword does strength, so I have a strength uh, uh, of d8. So strength, so I'm gonna roll my d8 plus, uh, let's see, a d10. So I'm gonna roll my strength die plus a d10. Okay, add those up, so that's a six. The goblin has a toughness of four, which means that in addition to if, even if even if I had I had hit even if I hadn't done damage I would shake but because I'm over the target number uh, I deal a wound so in this case I quickly bring my sword up and swipe down and, and dispatch this goblin easily um, it's just a little it's just a little goblin says three feet tall uh, not a very powerful character and I only appear a creature and I did just one all of a sudden though the goblin disappears completely gone room lights up, and it seemed much bigger a moment ago, but now it just seems like that original hallway. And again, there are stairs that lead up, and stairs that lead down. So now I need to know, what's the next trial? Is it a natural one, or is it a fight, or is it something else? So again, is this next one going to be a fight? Okay. It says yes, and I got six on the... <laughs> magnitude die, so it's a big fight coming up. Um, it's somewhat favorable uh, to me. Uh, fairly neutral, though. Real, well, really neutral favorability. Uh, so we're going to go with a much bigger fight here. Something that I, I won't necessarily have seen before. Uh, 
so I think, let's see. Yeah, I think this is what this is gonna be. Uh, okay. So, as he walks uh, up the stairs this time, he walks into a room, uh, much like the other one, but it becomes, all of a sudden, it comes a glow, and there in the room is um, a huge, hulking, fiery form in front of him, shaped like, shaped like a large person, but made itself of fire. There's the fire elemental that we're gonna get into a fight with. All right, first round. King of spades for me and for the fire ele elemental. Nine of spades. I get to go first here. This is gonna be a much trickier fight to believe. Hopefully it's not anticlimactic. Again, I'm just learning the best year myself, just learning this game. Alright. D8 fighting die. Plus D6 wild die. Okay, not gonna do it. That's only a two. So I'm gonna swing the great sword and it just uh, easily, quickly dodges out of the way. It actually, like, separates the flames of its body briefly. Um, to, and just, like, lets the sword pass on through, and then it recongeals. On its turn now, uh, it's going to turn around and try to do a fiery touch. Uh, yeah, so this is a chance of catching fire. It gives me a link. We'll get there. Uh, I think I think we're just going to have it do it, basically, as a fighting uh, yikes. It's better at fighting than I am. Okay. It is going to do a d10. It's not an extra, so it doesn't roll the d6. So it's going to roll a d10 fighting die. Okay, it rolls an 8, which is above my parry of 6. Okay. So it's going to hit. That's going to at least shake me. Now it's going to see if it's going to do damage. to strength plus a d6. Its strength, it looks like, is... A D4, not very good. D4 plus a D6. I have a toughness, a total toughness of nine. Two of it is from armor. Okay. Yeah, it only rolls a four, which is for, fortunately below my toughness. So it um, comes down with its fiery hand uh, and uh, it, it smacks me. I'm going to ignore the catching fire thing because it sounds exciting to me, to be honest, when I'm playing by myself. Again, I don't think it's fudging, I'm just removing a mechanic so that I can survive a little bit when I'm one person instead of a whole party. So it comes down and smacks, and I'm able to get the sword up to block it, but it still, um, it still, like, explodes with kind of fire in my face and, and stuns me. Uh, I'm gonna have to, uh, I'm gonna have to recover from being shaken. Uh, so we're gonna move on to the next round, setting aside those initiative cards. Uh, I am on the Queen of, uh, Clubs, and the Elemental is on the Four of Clubs. Okay, I think that I'm actually going to go ahead and spend a Benny to recover immediately from being shaken. Uh, put three for the GM uh, Bennies. Okay, so yeah. Um, I'm going to spend that one Benny to recover from being shaken so that I can have my attack. I'm going to go in again, trying to whip the, the great sword around, uh, trying, to, uh, trying to cleave, somehow connect with the Spire Elemental. D8 fighting die, D6 wild card. All right, I got a six. Uh, it has a parry of seven though. Whew, it's gonna be hard to hit this thing. Real hard to hit this thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I should spend another Benny to try to re-roll that. I think I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna spend a Benny to try to hit that uh, fire elemental again. 
gonna re-roll here. Ah oh, man, same exact result. That sucks. All right, yeah, go swing the go to swing the sword and again. It this time I do connect with it, but it it it, it blocks and diverts uh, diverts the sword away with this fiery blast. In the meantime, okay, it hits a six, which is the same as my parry. That is enough. That it so it basically hits the same as the DC. No raises though. Now it's gonna have to roll against my toughness, which is its D4 plus uh, plus D6. Got a toughness of nine. Okay, it got a seven. So it does it does hit me again. I'm able to uh, to absorb enough of the blow uh, just with my general brawniness, uh, but. Uh, it does leave me again shaken. Oh, man, this is gonna be this is gonna be tough. I'm gonna look around the room and see if there's anything anything I can use. Are there any sort of um, obstacles or anything in this room that I can use, maybe even to get partial cover behind or, uh, or some sort of advantage? Is this room furnished in any meaningful, helpful way? It says yes. It's it's a medium, uh, somewhat furnished room. It's a uh, neutral favorability. So there are gonna be a couple a couple tables around. Uh, a couple chairs, that kind of a thing. Nothing, nothing huge. Nothing, uh, you know, a ton of cover. But there is some scattered furniture as we're in this room. Okay. So now, on to the next round. Tricky, tricky, tricky. I'm on the Ace of Clubs. It is on the Six of Clubs. All right. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do. I have to do something here. See if I can. If there's some sort of a maneuver that I can make uh, in order to maybe get myself some sort of an advantage here. Um, hmm. Let's see. I'm gonna. Con I'm gonna consult my handy dandy book here to see if there's anything I can use to my advantage. Yeah, I think my main option here, because I gotta declare it ahead of time, is to take a multi-action. So uh, normally you have one action and one maneuver. Uh, in this case, I'm gonna uh, do a multi-action, so I'm gonna try to attack twice. The second attack, though, is gonna occur at a minus two penalty. Uh, so it may, it may not work here. And it gives me more chance of, of getting a critical failure. Um, if I roll a one on both dies, that's a critical failure. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. So, all right, let's see. So first, first attack here, d8, d6, fighting. Uh, five, yeah, that's not gonna do it. Uh, so the next attack here. Minus two. Uh, I need to ace. That's not gonna do it either. That's only a four. Oh, man. Yeah, I go swing, swing the greatsword twice. Uh, I'm just not able to uh, connect. I'm gonna have to probably look around for some, some other way of, of, of resolving this combat. Next up, the fire elemental with its D10 fighting. Comes down with a fiery arm. Rolls a nine against my parry. Not a raise, but enough. Uh, enough to cause some trouble here. All right. I might need a miracle soon. Uh, it's D4 plus D6 time for uh, damage. I believe um, I might have already been shaken there. I'm not going to retcon that. Yeah, I think I was actually shaken. So I should have done, done a vigor roll, to try to or a spirit roll, to try to recover from that. But regardless, we're going to move on since I neglected it, so... Not fudging, but messing up. So I'm only human. <laughs> Alright. Okay, yikes. That D6 aced. So that's so far 8 plus another 3. Yikes. Yikes, not great. So that's 2 above my toughness. Um, 
So it's not a raise above my toughness, but uh, so it's not another four above my toughness, but it is above. So, um, and I was, I will say that I already was shaken, so I shouldn't have been able to take the actions. But regardless, I'm shaken, so I take, um, I'm gonna take a wound here. Um, I'm actually gonna take two wounds here because I was already shaken. So now I have two wounds, which means I'm gonna be at a minus two for everything that I do, which is not good, not great. Okay, now to look around the room. Is there any sort of, uh, is there any source? I need to try to use my brains, which is not really Thorin's uh, strong suit here. But if the fire burns as the, as, as the fire elemental comes down with a fiery fist, um, leaving a, a burned uh, gash in his arm and his shoulder, uh, which the only blessing being that's immediately cauterized by the thing. Are there any sources of water or anything like that that I can try to splash on this thing? So we're gonna see. Is there any source? Ah! Any source of water? Okay, no, there's no source of water uh, in the room, really. Um, yeah, it's kind of medium favorability. So there's not, yeah, there's not really any water. There's nothing big enough, really, to store something like that in. Is there at least an obvious way out? Can I can I try to escape this room? Probably there's some sort of a way out. Uh, and yet, no, there's not really a way out. Um, it's a big enough room I could maybe try to evade this thing, but it's yeah, it's, it's pretty big. So I'm gonna have to see. Are, are there multiple floors? That's another question. Yes, there are multiple floors, but there's just the one. It's kind of like a little ledge. But it's, it's pretty accessible to me. There's some stairs in front. I might be able to get up to that ledge uh, and at least move a little bit out of the way of the fire elemental. Okay. Um, yeah. Next round, I'm on the 10 of diamonds. The fire elemental is on the 10 of clubs. Diamonds go before clubs. All right. Let's see here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so I am gonna I am gonna amble up the stairs. Um, let's see, is there anything large that I could push over onto the fire elemental um, to at least buy myself some time? Let's see. Okay, so I got doubles here, so we're gonna get to that in a second, um, but not with an odd number, I guess. So I guess it's the same. Um, okay, so hmm, yes, there is something I can knock over. It's very favorable, so it's right here. Um, it's fairly big, so we'll figure out what kind of damage it would, it would potentially do. Um, so I think I'm just going to make some sort of an athletics check to see if I could push this over. What, what would say it is? Like, probably some sort of like a, a smaller sort of a statue thing as this, the fire elemental comes over. I'm going to try to push it over um, to give me some room to get out of here. Uh, and then um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a multi-action before I do this. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make the... Uh, strength check to knock over the statue and then I think I'm gonna try to like do a like a link from Legend of Zelda and like jump down with the sword pointing down and like jump on this thing which I think will give me some sort of a bonus which we'll get to in a second I'm probably just gonna make a ruling for that um, so first then that'll be the minus two and I'm already I'm at a minus two so this is a little rough I'm already at a minus two uh, because of my wounds um, so uh, I probably could spend my Benny to try to soak up some damage but 
such as this. So first, first I actually, before I do any of this, I'm gonna have to um, try to make a, um, I believe it's a vigor check uh, or a spirit roll uh, to recover from being shaken. And I never remember it because there are some changes from the last version of Savage Worlds to this one. Uh, but we can check real quick. It's probably good audio listening to me look up rules. Alright, so being shaken. How about that? How do we do that? Shaken. Alright. To make a spirit roll, yeah. Okay, so it's a free action. So I need to make a spirit roll, and my spirit sucks. Well, it's okay, I guess. I have a six, and then I have my um, wild die, which is also d6. So roll two d6. Okay, that sucks because I got a three uh, at a, at a minus two. Um, I think I'm gonna have to spend my last Benny to recover from being shaken. Yep, I'm gonna spend my last Benny to recover from being shaken. Here. All right, so first we're going to try to do the strength check to push this thing over. All right. Strength check. Strength. Or an athletics check, I guess I said. So that's D6. I have D6 athletics. Man, I really could use an ace here. Uh, D6 athletics with a um, minus two for my wounds. Not going to cut it. That's only a one with, a, with minuses. Rough. Okay. So I try to push over the statue, and it's just not... It's just not budging. It's just the, the the wounds are just like the old wound sire. No, the the wound on my arm is just uh, causing intense uh, tense pain. So I'm just not able to do it. Um, I think I'm gonna still, uh, yeah. I think I'm still gonna do the second action that I've already declared because I have to do it ahead of time anyway. Uh, that's gonna be at a minus two. It's really gonna be at a minus four um, because of my wounds. But I mean, heck, I gotta do it. So I'm just gonna try to jump down. Uh, with a sword down, I think I'm going to give myself a plus two bonus. Um, situational bonus. There's a lot of situational bonuses that are like that. Plus two, plus four, or whatever. Four would be huge, but a, a plus two bonus is, for, is fairly within the realm, I think. So it's basically going to cancel out the wounds from coming down on top of this thing. Um, so, But it's going to be at a minus, an additional minus two for being a multi-action. So basically, this will be the same at a minus two roll. Um, so my advantage just cancels out the wound. So now, this is a fighting roll, d8, plus my wild die, d6, ah! Helps if I keep the dice in the dice tray. Okay, well, that's a 7 minus 2, that's a 5, it's still, man, the, the only time I roll the parry high enough and my penalty is too high. Uh, man. Okay. Yeah, so I try to, try to come down on this thing, and I just, just would normally be able to connect, but the pull from this burning wound uh, causes me to, to, to pull the blade at the last second and stick the sword in the ground, um, and the fiery elemental is able to recover. Uh, I believe it's going to try to swing another fiery blasted arm uh, at me. D10 fighting. Uh, it's on the edge, but it's a nine. It's no good. So it's higher than my parry, and it's D4 plus D6 damage time. Don't worry, I'm not going to kill my character if I get all three wounds here. I'd, I'm going to do more cinematic stuff than that, I think, but it still won't be good. Okay. Fortunately, I only rolled a three, and my toughness is well above that, so it just leaves me shaken. Okay. Yeah. Really at a disadvantage here. Um, 
Yeah, I think I'm just gonna have to look. Are there any sort of like, is there any sort of writing in the room or, or artifacts of any sort that um, look like they might be magical in nature? Uh, especially there, anything with a gem. So that's a yes, um, and it's medium. So yes, there's there's a few a few ornate things. Um, uh, is one on the favorability die though. So it, it's it's all the way. It, the problem is that the I guess on the one favorability die here, the elemental is between between me and whatever this artifact is. I don't even know what it is. Um, is it some sort of a gem or? Is, well, we'll say it's a gem. Yes, it's a gem. It's a pretty big one too. All right, there's a big ruby over there. I see it. The, the problem is the fire elemental is uh, between me and it, and it's gonna get sort of an attack of opportunity past me if I if I try to go past it. Uh, so I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna attack and then move around this thing. So I'm gonna basically do some sort of like a fighting retreat, I think, in order to like I'm gonna fight my way past this thing, uh, essentially. Uh, there's probably a way to do that. But I, yeah, let's see. I guess that's really gonna be the only thing I can do here. I can try to evade, I guess. How does this work here? Okay, yeah. Maybe get a free attack unless uh, doesn't get around. So first, I need to recover from being shaken, since I remember this time. So that is a spirit roll. It's a d6 plus my d6 wild die. And a minus two. A lot of bennies. Snake eyes. Shoot. Okay, yeah. I'm still, still dazed and stunned, so I can't seem to act. So all I can do is try to position myself around, uh, and it's like, it's like around to get between, you know, so I'm still within melee range, but I kind of circle around this thing, trying to position myself in, uh, closer to this artifact as the, uh, fire elemental lumbers over. It does so, however, and it's gonna swing down its arm, but this time it only does a three, mercifully, I'm, I'm able to, to block that out of the way. Um, so that its fist comes down next round. Okay. Be a miracle here. I'm on the eight of diamonds. It's on six of hearts. At least I'm first. All right. Try to recover from being shaken. Ah! All right. There we go. Oh yes, an ace. Six. Okay, seven. Seven total is a minus two, so it's still enough to succeed with a five. So I recover from being shaken. I have my whole turn here. Okay. So I'm going to. It doesn't really say about, like, you know, it says withdrawing from melee, but I, I feel like I could probably attack um, and then back up. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to use what's called a wild attack. Um, I'll have to look and see what being vulnerable is, so this is risky. Um, so, yeah, I'll have to see what the status of vulnerable is after this. But basically, I can do a wild attack. I'm really desperate. It adds a plus two to fighting uh, and damage rolls, but I'll be vulnerable until the, until the end of the next turn, not even this one. It's the end of the next turn. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to wild attack, uh, and then, mm, yeah, and you can't use multi attacks or actions. Um, I'm going to wild attack and then keep backing up to this thing. Alright, so plus two is going to cancel out my wounds. I'm getting desperate here, really swinging for the fences here. Um, I should probably look up to see what my edge for Brawny does, because it's probably something that would have been helping me this whole time. So let's see, that, that would be classic James. 
Uh, Brawny. Okay. Brawny, Brawny, Brawny. And probably should see what nerves of steel is, too. Because uh, it's probably also been screaming this whole time. Okay, so I get size and therefore toughness plus one. All right, so I did a treat. Strength is one die. Type higher for uh, strength. Okay, so that's fine for me. I already have taken care of this. But what about my other one, nerves of steel? So nerves of steel. Ignore one level of wound penalties. Oops. Oh well. So I really only get a minus one. So I'm, I'm swinging for that fence. This is going to essentially give me a plus one. So I'm going to swing my... Uh, let's see, my D8 fighting die plus my wild die here at a net of plus one to hit this thing. Okay, so at a plus one, that's going to get me a six. It's still not going to do it. Um, so it, again, it's still still just able to dodge out of the way, and I'm going to be vulnerable until uh, the end of the next turn, which sucks for me. So I guess I need to know what being vulnerable means. Let's be vulnerable together. Alright, um... 100. Okay, vulnerability, vulnerable. Actions and... Uh, actions and attacks against the target are made at a plus two. Yikes. Okay. Yep, it's gonna swing down. It gets a plus two now. So that was a thing that I did for sure. Oh, jeez, that gives it a total of ten which is above my parry, and it gets a raise. So, it gets a, uh, its damage does strength plus d6. Um, I think the strength gives it another d4. I think that's what the races do on damage. Probably should find out. Okay, and of course, bonuses are always plus a d6. So there's an extra d6 in here. Yikes. Okay. That's a total of... I have a toughness of nine. It's not quite gonna cut it. So it does exceed my toughness or match my toughness, so I have a minus three for wounds. It's looking pretty dire. Let's look at how that goes. Because I don't remember. Plus I'm probably making things harder on myself. Um, is it? Yeah, so we're definitely gonna do some damage here. Okay, yeah, it turns out I've been making it a little bit harder on myself. Because if you're unshaken, zero, you know, hit, uh, matching the toughness, zero to three points above the toughness, um, without a raise, just makes you shaken. So, this would be the time to invoke that. So, there, here I was unshaken, um, and it's, it's, it's with it, so it's only going to make me shaken. It's not going to deal me a wound, which is huge. Um, so I have been making, as typical James move, I have been making this harder on myself than it needs to be because I don't know the rules yet. Okay. So I'm, I'm shaking as it comes down and, and hits me. Knocks me off kilter as it knocks the sword back. Alright. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's plus two. That sucks. Okay. So. Next up. Next round. Next two cards. I am on the nine of hearts. It is on the nine of clubs. Hearts goes first. Alright, now I gotta try to recover from being shaken. Spirit roll. Ooh, I got an ace. Sweet. That's an 11. So even at my minus two, plus I have, it's really only a minus one for me. Um, so yeah, still just still a 10. Um, so I am able to recover. I don't actually know what 
um, raises due for that. Don't think there's actually a bonus to getting a raise on it. Uh, so we'll just make it a, a narrative one. So I'm able to, to snap out of it and, and kind of recover my footing um, and keep inching towards this, this relic thing back here. Um, I should be... It wasn't super, super far. It was just it was in between me and it. So I should probably be close enough now um, to hit this thing. So I think I, I gotta stop messing with this um, this fire elemental, and I suspect that as the GM part of me that this gem is related to this this fire elemental. If I can destroy this gem or knock it out of here, then I may be able to uh, escape this fight. But I think in order to do that, uh, I'm gonna have to make uh, I guess an athletics check, um, or it really maybe it's fighting. I would say it's fighting because I'm using my sword. Even though it's not like an enemy that I'm specifically hitting, I think it's fighting. So I'm going to roll my uh, d8 fighting die and my wild die here. Try to smack this gem out of its casing. Alright, I, I did get a 5. I'm at only at a minus 1 because of my wound, so 4, that's just barely enough to succeed, fortunately. So, I do... Uh, smack the gem completely out of its casing. So I, this is going to give me some sort of an advantage. It may end the fight, or it may just give me, even if it's a no, it, it will give me some sort of an advantage here. Uh, so the main thing to know is, does the fire elemental disappear? I got a yes. Um, it does disappear. Um, a one on the die. So yeah, it disappears, but it, it, takes, um, it takes a minute. It's not very... Um, exciting, all of a sudden just starts to diminish, almost like it's de being deprived of auction until... Bloop, and it's just gone. Now Thorin has to lean over. <sighs> and then once again, the braziers light up again. <laughs> um, all the way down the hallway. And again, he's back in the hallway as if he hasn't gone anywhere. Hmm. Whatever it's in here, seems to be trying to learn his limits what he can and can't handle. He's got two wounds at the moment. We might have to figure out a way to deal with that um, next session. That's going to have to stick around. Um, I think we're going to end it here. I hope that you like uh, this episode. I hope you like the, the trials that he's going through. And um, uh, yeah, I hope you like Savage Worlds. I hope you like the, uh, the motif emulator as well. I think it's a fun combo, personally. I really like Savage Worlds a lot. I know I butchered it a little bit because I am still learning it. Um, and I've only gotten to play it a handful of times, but I think Fast, Fun, and Furious definitely covers it for me. Very fun, pulpy, and really easy to improvise. I love 5e, uh, as you all know, because I've been playing that the past couple episodes. Um, when playing something like Savage Worlds, one of the advantages is it's much easier to, you know, I, I was able to use actual creatures that are in the bestiary, but it's very easy to make them up. It's, you know, with a fixed target number, it's easy to just kind of roll with the scenarios and see what makes sense. You know, it's also easy to make rulings like anything else. So um, I've really enjoyed this session. Uh, I hope you guys have too. I will catch you next time on Subclass Act. Remember that um, if you like the show, uh, tell a friend. Um, you know, I don't get paid for the show, so, um, you know, send me an, e uh, an email, um, which is in the uh, show notes. Um, if you like the show, or you can even send in an audio file and I'll play it in, or you can call in on the Anchor app uh, if you want to call in, leave a voice message like the ones earlier, and I can respond to it. Um, if you enjoy the show and you think a friend might enjoy the show or get something out of it, uh, you know, feel free to, uh, to recommend the show to your friends. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Subclass Act.